Well, one more time, happy Mother's Day. If you're a mom in the room, would you raise your hand? Awesome. This is where the rest of us give it up for them. We love you guys. Woo! Well, you've caught us in our second week of our Let's Talk message series, and here's what we're doing. We're trying to imagine what would it look like if you had a very meaningful conversation with a close friend. That's what these chairs represent. The idea that you just sit down and talk about stuff that matters. You cut through the fluff, get past the things that you're doing in your day and the calendar items, and you start talking about things that are near the bedrock, what really, really matters. And today I'm going to take you to a place in the Bible that raises the bar on women, on moms, on single ladies as well. It really raises the bar and gives us a chance to have an honest conversation around some important things. But if you're a guy here today, um, don't think that you can check out because what we're going to talk about applies as much to you as it does to them. So if you have a Bible and would like to go with me to Proverbs chapter 31, if not, in just a moment, the words will be on the screens and you can follow along up there as well. So Proverbs chapter 31, let me tell you about this passage. This passage is an amazing passage. The idea of a mom describing to her son the kind of woman that he should look for. Now, this mom loves the son. The son's name is King Lemuel, and she loves her son, and she's going to give him some practical wisdom on the kind of woman. And she sets the bar so high. In fact, this is one of those passages that if you read all of it, we're just pulling some excerpts, but if you read all of it, the bar is set so high that I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure that most people can attain to it. I'm just being honest with you. Now, I, I, I have a great mom, and, and my wife is a great mom, but this standard of this passage is so high. It's one of those that a lot of times when you read it, rather than making you feel encouraged and drawing you in, sometimes, depending on how you're wired at least, it might make you feel like, man, I, I don't know that I could ever live up to that. And so today, I want to let you off the hook and tell you our goal today is not to add another thing to your plate, not to make you feel bad. We're not trying to put any guilt on anybody. I know churches are known for that sort of thing, but that's not what we do around here. What we're going to try to do, though, is we're going to take a very important topic, kind of just open the book and look honestly at it as if you're talking to a friend, all right? So with that said, Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, here's what it says, a wife of noble character who can find. Now, the very first sentence is setting you up to try to determine what makes a wife of noble character. But it's the last couple words that I think really gives us the, uh, the, the tone and the importance for our purposes today. Who can find this woman? And the implied answer is, well, almost no one because it's really hard to live up to. And before I even read the rest of this passage, I got to let you know that the women, the moms in the Bible didn't measure up always with being perfect. So if you're a mom in the room and you haven't been perfect, or if you're a son or a daughter in the room and you didn't have a perfect mom, you're in good company with the women of the Bible. Let's do, do a quick little bit of history here on that. You, you, know, you may have heard of Eve, the mother of all things, right? Eve, the first woman. Well, she wasn't perfect at all. And yet God used her dramatically in the birth of her children and in the raising of her children to start a bloodline that would ultimately lead to Jesus. But, but Eve wasn't perfect. That's a good Old Testament example. You have Sarah in the Old Testament, Abraham's wife. Uh, she wasn't perfect at all. If you read the stories there contained in the book of Genesis, she, was, she was, did a lot of good stuff, wasn't a perfect mom. And even when you come to the New Testament to a person like, well, like Mary, the, the mother of Jesus. Now, I know we always put her on a pedestal, and she should be because she's very important. She's a big deal. But there's this interesting story about Mary in your Bible where Jesus is 12 years old, and they've taken him into the city to, to celebrate a festival. 
and he wanders off. They, they lose Jesus. Mary and Joseph lose Jesus. And they look for him. And they're running through the crowds, asking the relatives, have you seen him? And they find him in the temple teaching the, the, the rabbis. And here's this kid teaching the rabbis. And then they begin to scold Jesus. And Jesus looks at his mom and dad almost with confusion in his eyes. He's like, don't, don't you know I have to be about my father's business? So I don't know if you call that necessarily a negative on Mary, but she certainly didn't get the importance of what Jesus was doing. There's no such thing as a perfect mom. So you're off the hook, ladies. Um, This passage is not meant to raise the bar so high that you feel a certain amount of tension or guilt, but it's Mother's Day (laughs) and we're in church. So let's take the opportunity to talk about some important things. So one more time, Proverbs chapter 31, a wife of noble character who can find, she is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She sets out about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hand to the needy. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. That means she's not afraid about the future. She looks forward to them. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So with those words and a few others, you can go read it for yourself. It sets up the standard of what a wife, and I think we can apply in general, just a woman in general um, could aspire to. There are a lot of other passages that relate, but I wanted to use this one as a beginning point. But before we even dig into some of that stuff, I want to tell you what, what something I've realized about, about women. Like I said, I've had two incredible women in my life, my, my mom and, and, and my wife sitting right over there. And when I think about women and all the stuff on their plate, here's what often comes to my mind. They often operate with a to-do list, don't they? Have you ever thought about how busy women are? Moms, you ever feel busy? And uh, did I spell that right? I'm upside down. To-do. Okay. To-do. They, uh, they operate with a to-do list that's pretty aggressive. I mean, my mom, uh, my, my, my mom was and my, my wife is now the, the chauffeur. I, I'm upside down. Forgive me. It's a backwards check mark. But they're the chauffeur to the kids, right? And um, generally, I, I try to help. I'm not very good. But, but she, she does a lot of the housework. Um, in, our, in our house, my wife, she'll uh, basically manage the day-to-day you know, operation of our, of our finances down here. And when I think about the amount of care she gave into our four kids, like if we did a comparison, the number of diapers she changed versus the ones I changed, she wins. And let me just tell you, I'm really glad for her to win that particular contest. She gets a big old check mark on that one. And, and uh, so, listen, most of the moms in the room, you had a mom, there was a certain amount of just busyness in their life and that's totally okay i mean they're after all they're carrying a pretty weighty responsibility right um for many times being involved in a husband uh, wife relationship and and if you're a mom having kids to raise it's a big deal but even if you're not married to the room or you don't have kids you know what it's like ladies to just feel sometimes the pressure of all the stuff you have to do And that's very important. And the last thing I want to do for you today is add to your list. That's not what we want to do. I don't want you to walk out of here feeling defeated or that there's extra stuff to do. But I do want to take an opportunity to have an honest conversation. And I want to change the list. I want to introduce you to an idea that for me was life-changing. And as I've lived my life, has even had more of an impact than I understood when I first started on this journey. So if you're in high school today and you're in the room or 
or maybe college or in your 20s and 30s, I want to tell you, you, you're in a unique position to listen today and benefit dramatically from what I'm going to talk with you about, straight from the, the pages of God's Word. And if you're in your, your maybe your 30s and 40s and, and you're kind of in that middle area, you're in a wonderful position to think about doing some mid-course corrections and some inspection about where you are. And if you're in your, your 50s and 60s and 70s, possibly even in the room, we're really, really glad that you're here. And um, next week, if you come, there's earplugs in the back of the room. They're our gift to you for free. Um, but if you're in the room and, and, you, and, you, and you're here, you're in an amazing position to think about the impact that your life has had and what you're going to do with the last several years you have to make sure that impact is all that it could be. And if you're a Christian in the room, men or women, if you're a Christian in the room, you're in an amazing opportunity today to let God speak to you into your heart, into your mind, and find a receptive place to stretch you and grow you. After all, that's what, what church is about. Well, yeah, it's true that women have a big to-do list, but I want to challenge you to think today not about your to-do list, but about a, another list, a to-be list. I want to challenge you to think not simply about a to-do list today, but to add a different category to your thinking. It's a big and as opposed to stop because the truth is you got things you got to do. I'm not asking you to stop doing those things. But I am asking you as you think about all that you have to do to think in another category as well. Who do you want to be? I'm not talking about do you want to be an architect or a a doctor or a a nurse, but who do you want to be from the inside out? What qualities, what characteristics do you want to define your life? I used to teach high school. If you've been around the church, you know that a lot. I learned so much from my students in that environment as a high school teacher. It changed me forever. I think it got me ready in large part to be a dad, and I think that in large part it got me ready to be a pastor because I watched those students go through the raw emotions of a significant time of transition and change. I I mostly taught juniors, 11th graders, and in that experience of teaching them, I watched them go from being the kind of awkward freshmen to the coming into their own uh, sophomores to by the junior year, they're already anticipating being a senior and doing nothing all year. And then they're ultimately anticipating, because it's true, and then they ultimately are anticipating what's the next phase of life going to be like for them. And so it was an unusual for students to sit down in a guidance counselor's office or in a, an assignment in a class and to write out what they're going to do next, where they're going to go to school and who do they want to be and what course of study and what experiences are going to define. And they would think about this stuff and dream about this stuff. And for some students who were very verbally gifted or maybe were just oriented in a way of thinking linearly, that process came easy to them and they're writing out these amazing goals. And when you read, read what they would write, you'd be like, whoa, I'm so impressed with your plans of what you're going to do with your life. And other students, maybe if they weren't thinking literally or words didn't come easier, maybe they didn't have a sense of what they wanted yet, the idea of writing down what you're going to do is very difficult and troubling for them. But for almost every student, as that graduation day presented itself and they got closer, the reality that they were stepping into a new phase of life where they were going to have to do something, well, it weighed heavily on their minds because, as you know, that's an important phase of life. And one of the things I discovered is that often while we're talking about all the things we're going to do, it's a conversation that many moms have when they get pregnant or a couple has when they think about having a kid. What are we going to do with our kid? In the middle of all that discussion, very often there's another side of the discussion, the one we're trying to have today, that gets overlooked. It's the question of who are you going to be 
no matter what you do. So, all right, so you're going to be that doctor one day. Who are you going to be as you're doing the doctor thing? All right, you're going to be, you're going to be a lawyer. All right, good. Who are you going to be? You're going to be a wife? Who, what? Who are you going to be as you're doing the wife thing? Here, here's something that I discovered kind of not by uh, accident. I wasn't the first guy to hit this, but I discovered it personally as I had a youth pastor in my life, a guy that had a big impact on my life, kind of leading me through the process of discovery on this issue. And I think it's made a huge difference in my life. Hey, here's what I want to say to you on the side screen. Here's what it says. It's always a mistake to decide what you're going to do before you decide who you're going to be. I've lived long enough to know that who I am as defined by what I do has shifted a lot. I have been an accountant. I have. I've been a, a pastor now. I've been a staff guy at church. I've been a high school teacher. What I do doesn't fully define me because what I do changes. I've been the father of young kids and toddlers. Now I'm the father of, a, you know, a college young lady and it's a complete, who I am is not best defined by what I do. It's best defined by who I choose to be from the inside out. It's a big deal. And it's an important discussion that gets overlooked. And it might make sense to you if you're a parent in the room. Maybe you're wishing that your high school kid was here or whatever. But, but apart from that, it's an important discussion to have no matter what phase of life you find yourself in. Because who you're going to be from the inside out is wildly important. Here's the truth. Work is not who you are. It's what you do. Who you are, though, is the person you take with you no matter what you do. It's a wildly more important question to ask yourself, who do I want to be as opposed to what do I want to do? And I don't think anybody in our culture gets this more clearly and more intuitively than moms. Many moms get this without even realizing they get it. They know that they teach their kids to be polite because they don't want to raise jerk adult kids, right? You, you don't want to do that. And so you teach your kids to be polite because you want them to be polite. You want them to consider other people's feelings. You want them to, to be organized uh, or, or whatever it is that you're teaching your kids because in part you know that what you're teaching them to be is going to have a dramatic impact on their life. Some moms do this with intention. Some moms do this kind of automatically. Honestly, some of us in the room, if we're going to be totally honest in church and we really value that around here, some of you didn't have great experience experiences with your mom because they somehow didn't get this thing that beyond just teaching their kids what to do, they needed to develop them on who to be. So no matter what your parents invested in you or not, as a follower of Jesus, for those of you in the room that are Christian, for those of you that are investigating your faith, here's some insight into what drives us who are Christians. I know you hear stuff about us in the media. You think we're weird, whatever, but here's what drives us. We believe that who Jesus is making us to be is very important. And then we try to do what we do out of that. And sometimes our being doesn't match our doing. And we call those people hypocrites. In the church, we call that somewhat normal. The truth is, in this church, we're full of people who know what to be more than we do. And we, we try to you know, bring those two things together and make our walk match our talk. Of course that. But at the end of the day, who we're being developed to become, who we aspire to be, it's an important question, and I don't think in our culture we ask that question enough. Now listen, this is not wisdom from Ben. This is straight from the pages of God's Word. 
but it hit me through the mouth of somebody who had made a major investment in my life. This is the guy who first took me go-karting and, uh, as, as, a, as a high school guy. And in fact, he owned a go-kart track and we'd go over there and we'd, and, and he, this was the guy who made a major investment in me. And one day, I was about 17, and he comes to me and he says, hey, uh, you know, you're, you're into that dating thing and everything, but have you ever thought about the kind of wife you want? I said, hot, I want her hot, I don't... I, I don't know what else to say. He's like, why don't, you, why don't you go home and I want you to like get a piece of paper and I want you to write down what kind of wife you want. Okay. I mean, I, I got into this thing. I was like, I want her to look like this and I want her to have a certain amount of intelligence and I really want her to look like this. And um, there was a lot of looking on the, uh, yeah, I'm 17. I mean, that, that's what you do, right? And so I wrote down all these wonderful qualities about the kind of person that I was, and so when we brought it back and we, and we, looked, and we went over this thing and, He's like, look, you've described a lot of stuff you want her to be able to do, but what if, what if, you, what if you thought a little more deeply? He said, he said to me, what if you thought a little bit, not just about what you want her to look like on the outside, and not just what you want her to be able to do, but what if you thought about what you wanted her to be like on the inside? And then he, he took me to that passage that we read in Proverbs chapter 31, the very last line where he says, basically, beauty is fleeting, the external fades. But a woman, he said, in our, in our context, had profound impact on me. But a woman who puts God first, who fears the Lord, that will never change. I wanted to go back and think about the list from the inside out. So I went back and I wrote, wrote down things and came back and he said, now, now here's the deal, as you're dating, think about not just what she looks like and what she can do. For, for me, I wanted a, a woman who could sing, you know, could carry a tune, I couldn't, I, I know it's shallow, but it's something I wanted and, and somebody who could play the piano. This is before I decided to be a pastor. My wife does both of those things wonderfully and, 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 and I wanted her to be intelligent, to carry. But beyond that, I started talking to myself and to him about what I wanted her to be from the inside out because there comes a time when skills and abilities and the surface stuff does fade. But who we are on the inside lasts. In fact, we're all building something from the inside out. Some of us are just aware of it, and others of us are just kind of haphazardly, without consciousness, going through the process. But who you are on the inside matters. Now, there was something else going on in the late 80s, beyond me just talking to my youth pastor, that had a profound impact on my life in this way. In the late 80s, women had, you know, big hair. Uh, punk music was really, you know, it was cool then as opposed to just being subculture cool. And, and so it, it, was, it was awesome then. And there's a lot of stuff going on in the 80s. But in the church world, which I was very interested at the time because of this guy and because of my parents, because I, li- I lived in a church that, that loved me and it took me as I was and uh, affirmed me as, as a person. Uh, in the church world, there were major public ministries, like people who had national platforms, and they were just they were just destroying themselves. They were having affairs, getting in trouble with money. They, was, they, they were power hungry. And so these major national level visible ministry leaderships, they were all toppling. And if you were alive, then you, you could name some of those names. And on occasion, they still make the news. And, and it started this very obvious sense in which sometimes what happens in the church isn't as real, as, as, as integrity filled as what maybe at least I intuitively thought it was. And with that going on, and here I am at 17 thinking about life, thinking about love, thinking about what I want to do with my life. 
that was going on publicly, and I'm thinking to myself, if, if, if I, if I want to do ministry, if I, I want to follow God with my life, I don't ever want to get in a position to be like those guys. How do you get there to where you have this massive thing, and you're doing all the right stuff, and yet internally things are eroding? And it always happens at one point when the, eternal, the internal begins to erode. At some point, the external crumbles as well. It's just as obvious as can be. Sometimes it happens in two minutes. Sometimes it happens in 20 years, but it's always going to crumble when the internal isn't there. I don't want to end up like that, I'm thinking. And so my, 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 my youth pastor, his name is Art, and his wife, Paula, they're heavily invested in me. He pulled me aside and he said, so, so you've thought about what you want in your wife. Well, what do you, what do you want to be? All right, so we know what you want in her. Let's turn the tables on you. Who do you want to be on the inside? From the inside, I, I know what you want to do. I, I knew some of that. At the time, I was going to fly fighter planes and you know be in the air force and all the women were going to adore me and um i was going to easily achieve my hotness requirement uh in the ladies and so i knew i got what you want to do and he just kind of played along and but who do you want to be when you get there ben who do you want to be on the inside out who do you want to be and so the idea of wrestling with who i wanted in a what i wanted in a in a, in a, in a wife and who i wanted to be and these national but then there was another dynamic i was involved in my local church and they let me teach sunday school and we had been going through the lesson of Joseph in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 40 through 50. And Joseph is a guy whose family had, uh, re- his brothers had rejected him. He was loved by his parents, but his brothers rejected him. They were jealous. He was a dreamer. He had high and lofty goals. And yet everywhere he went, there were challenges. And yet at every challenge, it was like Joseph had this internal radar that made him, made him overcome every obstacle. Even when life was rough and difficult and it lingered, it rough and difficult, he somehow overcame those obstacles. And I'm teaching this lesson to, to my class there in my little, my little church. And I'm, I'm discovering, as many of you who lead small groups and teach in our children's ministry know, that the one who's learning the most, of course, is the teacher. And I'm learning along with them this life of Joseph. And the word of God is just speaking to my heart. And I'm wrestling with how is it that Joseph can handle himself so calmly and resolutely through all these challenges and then there was this one particular point in his life where he's in this house of this guy who has a lot of power the guy that pulled him out of prison gave him a position of honor and he's equipped him to lead the entire house and while the master is away while his boss is away the guy that blessed his life the boss's wife comes to him and says i want to sleep with you and joseph says this interesting thing he says I can't do that to the guy that's blessed me, to my boss. I can't do that to him. That would be a sin on this level. But I can't do it to God on this level. That somehow Joseph connected his life and what he did and who he was to his relationship with God, but he also realized it had impact with him and other people. It was obvious in Joseph's life, and then you can find it in Daniel's life, and you can find it in Moses' life, and Joshua's life, and in Jesus' life, and in Paul's, and Peter's, all these people in the Bible, that internally something had happened and clicked in them to where beyond the things that were happening to them, and beyond the things that they were doing, something inside was guiding them. And I thought to myself, with significant input by, by art, and by my parents, by my church, by the Word of God, by my own reflection, I want to be the kind of person who no matter what happens to me, no matter where I find myself, I have that resoluteness. I have that, that solidness that as the details of my life change, I'm, so I began to, at, at my youth pastor's instruction, write down some of the things that were important to me. 
I want to share them with you just as a way to give you something to think about, not that you need to replicate mine. And, and I want to tell you that when I started doing this at 17, 18, and I, I kept engaging this thing for the next several years, even through college regularly, we kind of coming back to it, I didn't understand the full implications of thinking about who I wanted to be being more important than what I wanted to do. But looking back, almost all the good stuff in my life, and there's some, some amazing stuff that God's been able to do, it all goes back to not just what I did, which is important, but who I decided I was going to let God make me to be. So for instance, I decided that I wanted to be honest. Not just like honest in the sense that I wouldn't tell a lie, but I wanted to look for the truth. I really wanted to, to search out the truth. I watched these major ministries crumble. By this point, I had decided I wanted to give my life to ministry. And I watched these major ministries crumble. And they had all made some kind of mistake in sex or with money or with power. But not just that. Almost every one of them attempted to hide it. There was a hiddenness and a darkness and a secrecy around them. And it almost made the thing worse. The idea is if they could have just come forward and said, I blew it, I really did, and now I'm coming totally clean and there's no secret and... But they didn't do that. There were months and years of hiding and hiddenness, and then they came clean when they were caught. And I thought, I don't want to do that with my life. I want to be honest without even realizing it. And its full impact, it hit me that you really can't have a relationship of any depth at all unless you're committed to being a person who is trustworthy, who's honest. Because at the bedrock of every relationship is trust. So if I, if I don't value truth, if I operate in hiddenness, if I deal in deception more than just, you know, adding a sin of not telling the truth, I'm actually eroding the relationships. Let me tell you, let me tell you how I experienced this. At 17, you might imagine I wasn't perfect. I'm still not perfect. Never will be. If you need a perfect pastor, you're in the wrong church. But at 17, I was more imperfect than I am now. And, and I would do something. And then in me, there would be this fight to hide what I had done so that my parents or some authority figure couldn't figure it out. Or I tried to manipulate what people saw and thought about me. And every time I did that, I would almost immediately, when I would think about it, I would almost immediately feel a sense of distance there. So it didn't take much of introspection for me to realize that trustworthiness, honesty, seeking truth had a direct impact on the quality of my relationships. When I would lie to my parents, I would feel distant. When they would discover, there would be a sense of disappointment. So I made a decision. I'm going to be a person. And then Jesus said this amazing phrase, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And at a young age, I think that I was beginning to discover, and man, I've discovered so much more, that Jesus tells the truth, that if you don't deal in truth and gravitate towards truth and do all you can to remove deception, it's going to impact your relationships, the thing that matter to you most. It's why marriages sometimes fall apart because there's usually an offense or maybe a continue, but then there's often a dishonesty there and it's the dishonesty that rubs the salt in the wound. I decided I want to I be honest. You know what that's brought me? It's allowed me then to be imperfect in my relationships and yet the people who know me best know that at the end of the day, my heart leans in the direction of honesty, and there's a, an easier grace given. And they know that if they ask me a question, it may take me a minute, but eventually my goal, my heart, is to be revealing and honest. It's allowed friends to speak honestly into my life and to challenge me because I've 
hopefully, and still am, building a value for truth. I decided that no matter where I was, what I did, I wanted to be honest. Now, at 17, you might imagine I struggle with all the things that other guys and young ladies struggle at that age. And so my youth pastor challenged me on this, and he said, all right, let's talk about your sexual integrity. And after some prayer and thought and reflection and looking at people who had blown it and had a best friend get a girl pregnant, I decided I wanted to be pure. And it wasn't an easy decision. I knew it wouldn't be easy. But I, I didn't want to just be pure. I, I wanted the impact that would come to me. Let me tell you now as a pastor years later, I've discovered that when people don't decide to be pure, that's who they're going to be, then what happens is it always has destructive impact on the intimacy in their life. That there are, are men that I'm aware of who dabble in pornography and they're still married and yet the intimacy factor is dissipating, it's fading from their life because while they're being intimate with their wife, they can't fully be there because their lack of purity has put up a wall. Doesn't, listen, it didn't make me perfect, that's not what I'm saying at all. But when I would fail, it was the thing that I would come back to. When Jill and I, who met all the wonderful requirements, both internally and externally, that I had, had put. She's beautiful on the inside and beautiful on the outside. And sometimes the outside was certainly more important than me. But at the end of the day, God blessed it, and, and, and here we are. But when we were discussing about getting married, I said to her, look, I'm going to be in ministry, so I'm never going to make a lot of money, but you are intelligent and smart and driven, and I think you can make a lot of money. And um, would you marry me, please? No, that's not that. The, the, it did go there, but that's not exactly. We took this little side path, and I said, I think if we're not careful, because I know me, I could be susceptible to letting the stuff of life like grab hold of my heart in a bad way. I, I like nice stuff and I like name brands and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But for me, it's the kind of thing that has the tendency, if I'm not careful, to grab my heart. And so my dad had taught me from a young age that the way you deal with greed, and everybody has the capacity to be greedy, is you decide to be generous. You just make a commitment. We're going to be generous. So I said to Jill, look, if you're going to marry me, here's the thing. I'm going to do ministry, and it's going to put extra burden on you and our family, and I'm sorry, but it's what I got to do. And if you don't want to do that, then honestly, we can't date anymore. And that was the toughest conversation we'd ever had. But beyond that, when we do this life together with our money, we're going to be generous. And we're not going to wait till we get rich, because that not, never happened. And, and we're not going to wait until we get like a lot of excess. We're going to start off right now being generous. Let me tell you what that's done for us. That's meant that now we can have stuff, but my stuff doesn't own me. It doesn't have a grip on my heart. I don't have to manipulate my relationships and, and, and be unfair to them because the stuff that I'm trying to get more of has gripped my heart and then it owns me. No. By deciding to be generous, I've been able to walk in freedom with stuff. Now, that was just a little bit about my story and taking seriously as who do I want to be and the impact that it's had on my life. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Listen, I don't live up to it all the time, but when I mess up, it's the compass that drives me right back to the center. And as a follower of Jesus, it wasn't just good ideas. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, take my ideas, use them however you can. But if you're a follower of Jesus, these are the values from God's word that God tells us he wants us to grow into. So then no matter where we end up in life, some of you are so talented and your talent will carry you very far. And yet if you don't build the inside up, there will come a time where your character will not sustain your talent and you will crumble. 
Some of you are so networked together and your relationships and your ability to do that will carry you so far. But if you don't grow up the inside and become who God's, your network will take you to places then you'll wake up and realize who even am I anymore? Who you are is more, and God is more in concerned and much more interested in developing you on the inside and then out than he is about blessing all the stuff of your life that we pray about. This is one of the reasons why mom and their role is so important. Because often you guys are the last holdout for the development from the inside out. We guys sometimes can get so focused on the external. We love to measure things. And sometimes this stuff is messy process. And yet who you're going to be is very important. So I want to give you three simple, clear steps that you can do to begin moving forward on who you want to be no matter where you're starting from. So some next steps are moving towards who you want to be from the inside out. Here, here's the first one. I want you to think about some simple words. So not massive categories, not elaborate sentences, but drilling down to a few basic ideas. And you don't know where to start? Let me give you an idea. Think about the people who have had a positive impact on your life and what are the common threads that describe the way they interact with you. Not what they did, but how they did it. They were gentle. They were forgiving. They listened. They invested in you. Think about those friends, those people that have poured into you and what you like about them, and then use that and say, now what is it that undermines or underlines all of this stuff? What is the common denominator? And then ask yourself, is that who I want to be? Is that really who I want to be? Hey, I wonder if you decided that you were going to be a person who is a forgiver. I wonder what impact that would have on your life. So, simple words, common denominators across the spectrum of people who have had impact on your life. Values, if you're a believer, from God's word. What does God's word call you to as a defining characteristic of who you are from the inside out? Here's, here's a kind of a second step. Once you get past simple words, think about some important questions. And here's, a, here's the important question. What will my life be like if I don't make this a value? What will my life be like if I don't make this a value? If you don't make honesty a value somewhere, then all of your life, your relationships will take hits. And sometimes you'll wonder why it is you can't get close and you can't sustain a relationship because deception and dishonesty destroys relationships. It will every time over time. It will. That's why we have to teach our kids, don't lie. It's not worth it. You get benefit in the moment, but over time it will destroy you. And most importantly, don't lie to yourself because walking in deception will only hurt you, so move, run to the truth. Tell yourself the truth. Tell your friends the truth. Demand that the people around you tell you the truth about you because that's where you get, as Jesus said, freedom. I wonder what it'll cost you if you don't do, there's a good question to ask. What will it cost you if you're not a forgiver holding short accounts? What will it cost you? So why is this word important for me? and to those I love. If I live this out, number, question number two, how will it impact the people I love? If I live out honesty, here's how it'll impact them. Sometimes I'll have to be careful because I can't just tell the truth. I have to tell the truth in love. But over time, I'll build a legacy of trust. And if I have something hard to say, they're going to know over time that my heart is for them and for their good. What it's going to do is going to mean that when I've offended somebody and I've hurt somebody I love, they're going to know that I want to hear that and I'm going to engage them in a helpful way. I don't always live up to this. That's what I aspire to do. 
What's at stake for those that you love? What's at stake for you if you don't do it? So some simple words. Honest, integrity, pure, forgiver, compassion, whatever your words are. And then finally, number three, some visual reminders. What if you took the next few weeks and you thought about these words and you prayerfully considered, if you're a follower of Jesus, you prayerfully considered, you engaged God's word, and then you took a a post-it note and you wrote some of these down or you wrote yourself a a journal entry somewhere or you talked with a friend and you took some notes so that you could remember what you said so that the target isn't all of, but it's these few five, six, seven things at most that no matter where I go, no matter what I do, this is who I want to be. What would that look like? There's a a great um, website called futureme.org. You can write yourself an email, date it for the future, and on that date, it'll send it back to you. You could take some time at futureme.org and write yourself a letter and say, one year from now, I want to be better at, I want to have grown in my honesty quotient, my generosity, my, my, uh, my seeking of, of being a, a follower of Jesus, one who's loved by God. What, what's the implication of that? That I understand that fully and have that email sent back to you a year from now. Ladies, there's a great website. Write, write this down. It's called shereadstruth.org. It's a blog, and it's just about some women getting together, and they're, they're, they're talking about when we read the Scripture, how do we internalize it? How do we make it real for us? Beyond just knowledge we know, beyond just activity we do, how do I internalize and grab hold of these truths? Shereadstruth.org. Right, so let me, let me tell you something. Life isn't neutral. We all are going to end up somewhere in life. So why not choose who you want to be when you get there? People are going to talk about you when you're gone. And they're going to describe some of the stuff you did. But what's going to really linger to the people that you love most is who you were, not just what you did. Now, here's the truth. Who you are on the inside will find itself on the outside. It will impact what you do. But don't be haphazard about it. Decide who God is making you to be. Moms, Invest in your kids, not just in what you do. Dads, not just in what you do, but in who you're growing them to be. What has God called them to? And long before they have the wisdom to know it, before somebody else comes alongside and helps, you can help guide and direct them. What you do is vitally important in the life of your kids. But don't just do it for them. Become the person God's calling you to be. Be that man, be that woman. So let's take some next steps together as a congregation. I'm talking a lot about, you know, who God's making us to be, and the truth is some of us in the room don't have a relationship with him, and that can change right now in a moment. Without a lot of fanfare, sometimes even without a lot of emotion, you can decide, I want Jesus to be the leader of my life. I want a relationship with God. The Bible says you do it pretty straightforwardly by saying, all right, Lord, you're the Lord of the universe, but you haven't been the Lord of my life. I've been leading my own thing. I'd like for you to not only lead the world— I'd like you to become my leader. The biblical word for that is, I'd like you to become my Lord, the one in charge of me. And I haven't been doing that yet, so would you forgive me up to this point? And would you become my Savior, but would you lead me? If that's your heart, you can find your own words. In a few minutes when I pray, you can borrow my words to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your forgiver and leader for the very first time. And we ask you to check next step A if you do that. And we're going to communicate with you via email about what that means. You're not joining our church. You're not signing up for a program. We just want to give you some information to explore what does it mean for Jesus to be the leader of your life. 
How about next step B? You want to get baptized? In a few moments, we have some folks over here going to get baptized, and it's a party when that happens. The first sound they hear when they come out of the water is those of us who acknowledge what's going on in their life and what Jesus We celebrate, we clap, we yell, we scream, we whistle, because a party's happened in heaven when they committed their life to Jesus, and we represent that here and now, right here in this place. If you want to get baptized, check the box. When the offering bucket comes by, put it in there, and we'll be in touch with you this week. How about next step C? I'm going to create my to-be list this week. Your to-be list. Now, maybe you won't get it done, but you're going to start thinking about on a deeper level who you want to be, not simply what you want to do. So on your to-do list, you might need to put think about to be and carve out a half an hour once a week. Ladies, (laughs) this next step is for you. I want you to take your relationships on a deeper level. Beyond just having a friend who affirms you, what if you had a friend that made an impact on you? Next step D, here's what it says. I'm going to talk with a Christian friend about who I want to be. What if you sat face-to-face with a woman over coffee and you didn't just talk about stuff and this guy over here and this thing over here and the kids over here, but you said, hey, can I talk to you about what God's doing in my heart? I want to talk to you about me being a follower of Jesus and how it's stretching me these days. I think you could take your relationship. Ladies, Don't let your relationship stay shallow on the stuff of life. Go deep with women about who Jesus has called you to be. Not just emotional affirmation, but who he's molding and shaping you to be. And next step B, I'm going to engage a to-be resource. So you find a book. The Bible's a good one. You you check this box. I'll send you a couple of other good books you can read. Maybe you're going to go to futureme.org or shereadstruth.org and and you're going to look at those stuff you check the box, we'll send you some resources, but you're going to engage this topic and get some understanding so that you can grow in who you are from the inside out. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for moms. Many of them intuitively, some with great intention, have understood this dynamic of investing not just in what we do, but who we are becoming God, not just for moms, but for every person in this room, young and old, male and female, God, I pray that you would impress upon us the power of engaging you and deciding who we want to be. Lord, do your work in us. God, I pray for those who are saying, Jesus, I've led my own life. Would you be my Lord? Would you be my Savior? God, I pray for those that are making a decision that have felt the tug of your spirit as I was talking to think more intentionally about who they're going to be from this point forward. God, I pray the fruit of that would bless them and their relationships and the people they love in this church and this community. We pray it in the powerful name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen. Amen.